Hello and welcome to the DM's Book Club, a podcast where we read about some Dungeons and Dragons and discuss how we might include it in our role-playing campaigns. Today I have an incredibly special, special guest, uh, basically my friend who just lets me talk about D&D at them every time we, we meet for online improv. It is John. John, how are you, my friend? I am very good, thank you very much. It's, um, it's a lovely day and uh, any metric of lovely, it's lovely by that metric. Oh, but but John, everything by you is lovely. I've I've yet to be in a scene with you or do anything with you where it's not lovely. And I think if it ever is not lovely, I think the world ends. I think that that is the true horror of everything. <laughs> it is it's certainly one of the um, improv signs of the apocalypse. Just before we get into like this episode, again, a couple of questions. It's just like I know you as as a very experienced role player, and obviously thousands of systems. I think you're the only one of my friends that actually does stuff outside D&D regularly or do different things or have learned different things outside D&D. So I want to know, how did you get into RPGs in the first place? Oh, okay. So I am, at time of recording, I'm 39, just because it comes up. Uh, I started role-playing uh, when I was, I want to say, 15? Wow. Thereabouts. Gosh. And, it's, it was, and I didn't start with Dungeons & Dragons. I started mm. uh, with uh, what was Mage the Ascension second edition or revised edition. I think second edition so I learned role playing through through the d10 system and the white wolf system um I have hundreds of d10s and that's not a lie I literally have hundreds because <laughs> I was one of those people who collected all the the official um yeah. white wolf dice including the werewolf dice where you get 10 dice but one of them is a dice for phases of the moon uh, <laughs> amazing which is great and then so I played that for a few years. I still have the character sheet somewhere, like flying around some paperwork, my first wow. character ever. Wow. And then I went to play third edition at the time. It was Dungeons and Dragons, because mm -hmm. that's how old I am. We're now fifth edition. So I, I started on third. Wow. I know there are people who started on, on uh, advanced. So I know there are people older than me. Yeah. And I play a dwarven cleric uh, <laughs> who had a flying shield at one point. He just sat in a shield and just flew around. Why not? Why not? <laughs> he had to, because everyone else had was faster than him he was a dwarf and he couldn't keep up so he had to fly and then i sort of became at the time that was when i started at university it was the university of east anglia mm. uh soon after that point i became the president of what was a gaming society mm. game sock as we called it then um it's still going in some format today and uh in norwich there was a there still is um a lovely shop called the games room uh with, which was run by a lovely uh scottish gentleman who passed away um but his son took over the shop who was scottish canadian and he used to go there every week and he used to try different games and like i used to try all sorts of things um like the old uh chaosium cthulhu the, the percentile one mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. fun to play star wars um my friend prefers the d6 the west end version of star mm -hmm. wars the old version as opposed to the d20 like spanning galaxy one um we also played all sorts of different things like uh, Adventure, which is part of, I think, the Trinity system, which is another White Wolf sub-brand, mm. as it were. We tried a lot, of, a lot of that. And we also tried lots of, like, one-shot sort of type sort of games um, just to see what they were like and just, like, adventures for, for, for one sort of thing. And the game I played the most at university, the one I ran the most, mm. uh, was Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the yes. role game. Yes, I was hoping you were going to talk about that. Yes! <laughs> I ran it for one season because after one season, you run out of ideas. So it was 24 episodes. And this was a time when season six of Buffy had just come out. For those who I know Buffy's problematic nowadays under Joss Whedon's sort of regime. But at the time, it was great for us as 
as kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I decided in my ego, I don't know if I've ever told you this, Fiona, beforehand, oh. to make myself the villain of the season. Like, my the, the, the big bad was a person called John. Yes. That was literally the case. <laughs> Uh, and so I thought, well, this is before I restarted improvising. I thought, well, well, this is true. What else is true? Yeah. And I made the entire committee, because I was president of the Game Society, that the committee of evil. And every <laughs> member of the Game Society that I had met to that point, which was a lot of people, made a cameo appearance as a supernatural creature in this town that I created. So much so, it got to the stage that we were, everyone was listening before, it was John's game. And they were, I had about 13 players who rotated in and out as special guests. So I had the Slayers in every episode, and then I played the Watchers as the guider on the way. Now, a few other characters, but otherwise, there was a retained cast who came in, who was whoever was available that night would come over and play the game. I mean, the most I had was seven in one game. Oh, wow. And my favourite episode of that game, my favourite episode, and there's no way you could have engineered this. It was hilarious. One of my best friends, who still is my best, one of my best friends today, Meg, played the Slayer, and she said, I quit. And so she, 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 so she went out of the room. Like, yeah, because because she was like, I mean, it's great, it's a great role playing moment. Yeah. At that point, the next six out of seven dice rolls were critical failures for the rest of the party, <gasps> including the watcher who was decapitated. Oh wow! And then she came back going, "I'll never quit again. I'm sorry." That, <laughs> that is thing. beautiful. Just the way that story element is. That is so cool. I still remember that to this day. Uh, the smallest game I had was only three players, because I was going to get. So it was play I, that game was just make an versus inner demons and the other two players were playing <gasps> voices in her head. It was a very classic Buffy sort of episode sort Amazing. of thing. I like the freedom of that type of game where there's no real restriction to what you can do. It's like yeah. a, it's horror and it's also teenage angst and it's also anything can happen and there's no like grappling rules to worry about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, oh God, oh, combat rules, perfect. Well, it's funny, you should talk about horror, John. Oh, what a that segue. Um, <laughs> you can tell it's all very professional here on DM's Book Club. Um, so today, actually, John, I've actually invited you to talk with me because a brand new book has come out in the last couple of weeks, uh, Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, which I'm very, very excited about, but I can't talk with anyone uh, currently in my gaming groups because we're running Curse of Strahd. And obviously a lot of the stuff we're doing is, mm. you know, I don't want to spoil something like that. So I thought... Who is outside of these gaming groups who appreciates everything I talk about, but also, <laughs> but also is into like again creating stories and support? John, John will be that person. So today we're going to look at uh, little bits of Van Richten's guide to Ravenloft and sort of have a general chat about it, but primarily sort of focusing on the genres of horror. So again, just big thing at the top of this episode. Obviously, horror is a big thing, and I know people experience it in different ways, and maybe you don't want to have horror in your game, and that is totally fine, and we understand that. But obviously there are going to be sensitive things we're going to talk about uh some content warnings and we'll put them in the episode description as well but just saying that at the top of this discussion before we dive right in so john i guess because obviously you've read quite a bit of this book yeah anything that stands out to you that you like oh this is really cool really really enjoy the first thing that stood out to me um uh, was uh, the dark gifts in the mm. in the book uh, for those who will read the book eventually yes. it's basically like having an extra extra feet with some downsides uh, <laughs> In the simplest way, but mm. the way you get them, if you get the mid-game, is incredibly fun. Descriptions are great. There's a description like, on a point of death, time stops, and someone comes up to you and makes a pact with you. Absolutely. Give you this dark gift. And I think that's just such a cool way of doing it, because that's not like a mechanic. That's mm. a role-playing thing mm. uh, in the game, because, you know, you could go, oh, and there'll be some players that go, well, why he can't cast time stop? The devils can't do that sort of thing. I'm going, well, they can, because it's, it's Van Richten, and it's, it's, it's in the domains, and it's, mm. it's great. It's really... 
And if you really want to do it really like, well, if, if you're on, if you're doing it on Zoom, because this is the moment we're doing at the moment, yep. you could take that person into a breakout room and no one else will need never hear what they've said. That's so clever. I hadn't actually considered that. Yeah. So that's sort of thing like, and then if they say yes or no, they'll come back even a new character or they'll come back going, oh, I'm fully healed. And they'll never know any players, and the rest of the players will go, well, what happened? Mm. And he can tell them, or she can tell them, or they can tell them, and or they may never know. Go, no, no, I, it turns out it missed. Turns out the shot oh, missed. Fine. Everything's fine. Yeah. yeah, it is at that point, and it's a very like you said. Yeah, it is a role play moment. It's very cinematic, isn't it? Where they, you have that choice, and again, depending on what I, I, I think it. Hopefully, it's as I always say, like characters. It's like what does the character want versus what the players want, and this is quite interesting, obviously, with horror as well. Is that when you're doing horror stuff, you want to creep out the characters, but maybe you, do you want to creep out the players as well? And just standing those boundaries and stuff. And I will say that Richton has a great section on safety tools and having these conversations with mm -hmm. your players and check-ins. It's like, hooray, a D&D book that talks about check-ins. So it normalizes that process. But yeah, Dark Gifts is such a cool thing. And you, you have so many different ones. I think my favorite one looking at it was the symbiotic one where you you just happen to get some something else that helps you like with a different agenda. So, you know, very much like Venom or anything like that but there's one which is just just a face that appears in your torso and just has a mouth and starts talking and you're like oh I, again that that's the one i think i would use if, if a player dies i think i would give them that and yeah it's what's interesting looking at the, the dark gifts as well there's not a way to remove it no it just is there and i quite like that like yeah. I, I guess again it's a role another role play thing is that if they want to get rid of it then maybe they have to go on some sort of quest maybe they have to because obviously it's such a big thing that they've you know they're about to die and then you've been you know given that lease of life at a cost so uh, yeah i was just like oh you're burdened with this for a few at least a few sessions at least so the power gamer in me really likes the death touch one like mm. that's like if i was playing a monk i would have so much like, like any unarmed combat just does extra damage and as long as you don't touch anyone else, you're fine. Yep. Um, you know, so you can never have a relationship with anybody. But, but that's the power game with me, though. But the role player in me, I think, would like the, the Peter Pan shadow one. Oh, yeah, the shadow, shadow one's move. excellent. The mage hand spell and the shadow touch, it's great. I like the idea of having an independent shadow, because that's always such a cool horror trope mm. to watch someone else's shadow flicker in different step to the actual character's movements. The Watcher one for me as well, that you just always have these creatures around you that just stare at you. So they talk about like, you know, whether it's like uh, inanimate tools of punishment, <laughs> I guess, or bats and moths and owls. And then there's a great picture of like a, a dwarf occultist surrounded by staring cats. And yeah. they're just like there looking at you. And you can use these eyes to like obviously uh, influence their presence. So you gain advantages on like uh, perception checks and stuff and you can't be blinded. But the idea that you can temporarily disperse them like you can like all right fuck off now but they always come back slowly yeah. but surely so that horrible creepingness almost like um like that film it follows it's always there in the background so i, yeah, I quite like the watchers one but they're all again all really interesting and all really different mm -hmm. and i just think yeah it's just something to add because i think a death itself in game is quite a obviously it's written in other D D books as it's a mechanic you either live or you die and it's a above ten you survive uh, below ten you don't survive mm -hmm. so I know I know there's a that's not an optional rule but where you could just make it literally a flip of a coin and it's a one off to make it really significant so again it's that sort of thing where I'm thinking about implementing that when when combat gets to that perhaps I just quite like here is a chance for you to but it is at a risk so yeah I really like that. The ideal apparently according to the book is you start off with a dark gift. I like the idea of I like mm. both ways. You start off with a dark gift. You can have these. What my one of my old GMs used to do uh, was do pre-game sessions with your character mm. to work out how you got to being in the party. 
mm. and then the party would meet together. So you could do all this stuff in the background. You could play like, oh, how you got the dark gift, how you left home, why you're leaving home, and give your character some sort of story reason. My friend Chris was very much into uh, collaborative storytelling as opposed as opposed to sort of like dice rolling sort yeah. of situations. And he was like, what's best? What best fits the story is best for the game. Is what, mm. So he used to like do these sort of pre. Um, uh, almost like preludes aren't they yeah, preludes for each, each character mm. and i did a similar thing for a game i can't remember what the game was called it was another horror game actually mm. it was like a steampunk horror game i can't remember what it was but i remember it's like something metropolis i want to say but i can't oh, remember okay. what it was. Mm. and two of the characters end up having the same background but i didn't tell them oh <gasps> like, very cool we both had um family members in the same asylum and their mm. ultimate goal was to, to raid the asylum and to and to get out of it. And the one the player said he can't stay for the whole game because he was leaving the country because it was a university something. Right. And he was leaving halfway through. And so we made it that he was going to be a traitor. And at some point we would trigger him and he would betray the party. Ooh. And that was all in the background. We worked that in the background before it happened. And so it did happen. He, he was queued up because he was a soldier character. Hmm. And uh, he said, I'm now, I, need to, I can't go against the government. I need to follow the government. So what are you talking about? We're trying to penetrate now. And, and there was a whole thing. And the players were like, what, what happened? Like, oh, yeah, explained up, we explained to them afterwards. It was all pre-planned. But they were like, wow, that, that, they were not expecting it. Yeah. I think that's the cool thing about not expecting stuff. It's like that sudden twist of the knife. And certainly mm -hmm. if there's a traitor in a group, proper like betrayal on house, the haunted house on the hill. That's the thing where you're like, no. Uh, yeah. Oh, that must have been. But it's being able to keep quiet about such a secret for so long and then it's, yeah. oh, oh, amazing. Let's talk quickly then about the genres of horror. Yes. Um, so this is the first sort of big source book talking about horror and how to run horror campaigns that I'm aware of, certainly for fifth edition. I'm sure there have been other source mm -hmm. books in the past which have gone like, hey, you know, all about world settings. And I guess it is a world setting in, in a sense because it talks about Ravenloft being not just... Uh, as we sort of previously known it as, uh, you know, uh, Bavaria, uh, mm. Strahd, etc. Like, it's actually just a place where all these lands are connected by the mists. And the idea that you move from one plane to another through the mists by having a trinket or something like that, which is incredible in itself. Like yeah. uh, lots of different domains of dread, as they're called, as, you know, again, fitting on those uh, tropes, the ones I sort of briefly saw, like the carnival. And so you're like, no, why yeah. would I go there? <laughs> that sounds dreadful. Um, there, I saw the, there was like a, a ghost train one as well well mm -hmm. um i just look pretty cool but looking at the horror stuff as well so if you want to create your own horror adventures there are different obviously subgenres of horror which i guess i i knew about but i hadn't really considered like if you're pinning down your adventure what kind of different genres there were so what it does uh was quite neatly is that it takes sort of six big ones and then four small ones which almost like wants to consider so we'll go, well, I guess we'll have a look at a couple of them. So the big ones they talk about are body horror, cosmic horror, dark fantasy, folk horror, ghost stories, and gothic horror. And then the four other ones you have disaster horror, occult detective stories, <laughs> psychological horror, and slasher horror. Out of all of these, John, is there, is there any ones that you feel that you tend to go towards when you're creating horror games? Any sort of particular genres of horror that you sort of implement, I guess? I lean towards the... Folk horror, I think, potentially. Mm. Although I do like dark fantasy, but mm. folk horror tends to be like that sort of almost storyteller, like sort of like, you know, the original grim fairy tale sort of horror sort of story sort of thing that goes along there. And like, beware, like there are warnings that the, uh, like the idea that mm. in these ideas that the players get themselves into trouble by ignoring the warnings because they mm. want to play the game in those sort of sense. So nothing's really forced upon them. They often go mm. these quests because 
let's play play a character greedy or they want fame or fortune or that's why they're adventurers mm-hmm. and so they'll ignore all the warnings about the, the the crazy witch in the woods or the the hangman who you know hunts you at night and that sort of thing and and those sort of sort of tales and they can be almost anything that's the thing they can be well, some of the others, I mean, like Cosmic Horror, you tend to think of, like the, as we said, you mentioned before, Cthulhu, <laughs> outer space, yeah. ineffable beings and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And if you look at ghosts, it's like it could be ghosts, ghost stories and that sort of it's thing. It's ghosts. <laughs> but with folk horror, it can be anything that touches the fringes of any of those sort of things. It could be just little goblins and gremlins, or it could be like a massive swamp creature that's been living in the swamp for years and eating anything mm-hmm. that comes near it. Like these sort of, like, in tales, like fact, it could be anything. And you can also fit anything in there. It doesn't have to be folksy. It could just be any sort of urban legend that exists in the fantasy world. Yeah. No, I, I, that is a, I, you've actually put a really interesting spin on it. Because obviously for me, when I think of folk horror, I do think of stuff like that film Midsummer or The Wicker Man, where mm. you have these communities who have certain beliefs and they are beliefs that are opposite to your own. And then they enforce them on you or they, if they don't trust outsiders, then they do it in service to others. But actually, I think that's a really good point, actually flipping it around so that the adventurer is like well we're going to do this and they're like, well you shouldn't do that no that that's going to harm our village we've kept it like this no 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 we we know what's best even though this village has probably been doing certain things again maybe evil maybe not evil depending on how you play it to you know not upset the the witch in the forest and then these these fuckers come along <laughs> and like don't worry we'll defeat it and they're like oh god oh god you know that because that, then they're sort of caught in the crossfire that would make a really interesting story actually so it's it's got those horror elements but then the player characters have that agency that it's actually their fault and not necessarily this uh this other village or the other sort of mm-hmm. community that's at fault i guess um but yeah i i really love the idea of sort of the folk horror stuff because again i i've read lots about it but i've never really enacted it in my games i i've tend to gone towards more like you said dark fantasy and, and uh i almost said cosmetic horror that's not what i meant <laughs> cosmic horror not cosmetic cosmetic horror is a very specific genre um i think you should watch <laughs> the tv show nip tuck that's the one <laughs> but it gives some examples of like some tropes that you can consider with folk horror. So strange and potentially dangerous traditions flourish in isolated and otherwise private communities. And I think that's the key thing there is private. Maybe mm-hmm. they've kept themselves away to stop whatever is happening, happening to other people. So definitely in um, in Strad, there's a letter right at the beginning. Um, again, apologies if you've not played it, it's a bit of a spoiler, but there is the Burgermaster who leaves a letter outside the gate saying, if you come here, turn back, you can't save us we are doing what we can to keep this evil contained. When certainly my players found it, they were like, oh, well, we can't turn back. Oh, well. <laughs> so, but I like that, again, that like you said, like the little seeds of leaving it in there. And other things as well, that the community members typically hide their beliefs, where it's like physically obscuring them or manipulating others in power. So again, thinking about like traditions, or certainly I'm thinking of in mid- Midsummer, where it's like, Every year we do this ritual and we crown the summer queen and and or the spring queen and things because we want the harvest to come across. But whether it's through festivals or, or, or that sort of thing, or if it's literally through uh, sacrifice. The other thing I'd say with all these different uh, genres as well, obviously they've got a really great way of saying, so they're like, okay, here's the main tropes or here's the main, uh, not even tropes I'd say, but maybe some main elements that you would consider, like if your game has these, it might be a uh, folk horror or it might be body horror, et cetera. And then you have examples of monsters, uh, villains that you could mm-hmm. have, torments or weaknesses that these these villains have. Like, so in Van Richten, you have obviously these domains which have a dread lord. So some, some sort of 
big bad essentially and this is what torments them or what is their weakness and what makes them an interesting lord and then you have settings which i guess is i wasn't really sure about settings in all these ones it sort of talks about like um what places that you can go to so maybe locations perhaps Mm -hmm. and then but then it goes into adventure sites so maybe specific plot hooks that you could have with horror and then you have plots which then is the same thing so i I think the last three sections in each of these genres they sort of intermix for me per se but Mm -hmm. very very interesting otherwise what i thought we could do john is maybe do some rolling and okay. see again because again dnd loves its tables and stuff so if you've got a d6 and a d8 to hand which i assume you do as most people do <laughs> reach out their arms yeah. pull one out fabulous well we'll go with folk horror to begin with then um so let's let's roll for a villain so roll a d8 for me i'll tell you what you get yes please five five you have oh excellent a wicker giant that animates during a new moon collecting sacrifices and punishes the unwary I guess with all these, they're all very um, naturalistic, all these sort of villains. So yeah, you get the Wicker Giant, essentially. So enjoy that. <laughs> Roll a d6 for me, and we'll see what torment you get. Five again. Five again. The Dark Lord seeks to transform their body into a vessel or gate for a subject of their belief. Again, I guess maybe sort of making, with, with that sort of giant S type thing, collecting sacrifices till, I don't know, you fill yourself up and then become the vessel? I don't know. <laughs> Settings, if you roll a d6 for me, please, see what we get. Two. Uh, oh, so interesting. An island floating in the air where the ground worshippers dream of the lands below. It's quite different as well. All these sort of settings take place in different things. So it's mm-hmm. not necessarily rural country village. So we've got a floating island. That's pretty cool. Adventure sites. Could you roll for me a D6? Five again. Five. Love you love, you're loving your fives. Yeah. Uh, so you've got a mansion built incorporating a stone circle. Not ominous at all. No. <laughs> And then, finally, if you roll me a d8 for uh, horror plots. Guess what I rolled? Is it a five? It's a five. Wow. Uh, You defeat a violent hag who's protected by everyone in the town and called grandmother. I think that really goes into your sort of, Mm -hmm. um, you think about the adventurers knowing what they are. And so, again, violent, not so violent. I don't know. So, yeah. So, you get get quite a lot about it. Is there anything like having a quick look at the genre thing? Is there anything you would change about it or improve on in general? I think something I would improve on. I mean, you know, this book has gone for lots of people before before me to uh, but I would say that there is something for crossing genres. Mm. You can like have I think if you wanted to create your own horror genre, as mm-hmm. it were, you can take bits of anything and make mm. them in you can take different tables. I, I would probably take different tables in different places mm. and quite happy. Like you because um yeah, you can easily have a, a folk horror, but there could be ghosts in it, clearly. Mm. So you could have some ghost stuff moves into there. Or you could have a like a, a body horror that starts off as gothic and that sort of thing. Mm. I don't think if you if you're experienced enough, I think you can mix them up as much as you want in a deft way without seeming like you're just picking everything out. Just pick up one sort of thing here just to surprise those players who have read the book and are expecting things. Mm. <laughs> um, that tends to happen. I used to play a lot university, like there was always one person who had the book and they would always read it, and I'd always change the rules to make it fit my games better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they would almost almost try to complain. And I go, it's I'm the Dungeon Master GMST. This is how the game works. So yeah, that's one of those sort of things I find. So yeah, surpri- surprising players is always fun. Yeah. I think. Yeah, um, well, it's certainly like you surprise them by being the big bad and everyone's in there yeah. in the game as, as a cameo. Absolutely. Yes, that was, uh, I still remember that <laughs> to this day, 20 years ago. That's, that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> as you mentioned ghosts why don't we look at quickly look at ghost stories yes. and so ghost stories uh, i think most people would recognize this as a type of genre 
And I think what's cool about it is that, when, again, when we see horror films, when there is a ghost, quite often in recent times, they're always like violent ghosts or, you know, they, they come out mm -hmm. and they kill people on some way. Well, actually, when you look at certainly what um, Van Richten's talks about, it touches on the fundamental issues of human existence, which I thought mm -hmm. was great. Um, that sort of, they can be the heavy handed instruments of supernatural justice, plunging those responsible for their deaths into a living hell where they must suffer for their sins. But they also represent grief and a need for closure, lingering in a place where they bring about the completion of the work they hope to complete in life. So it can be quite a tragic thing that they yeah. that in other books they've talked about. Oh, I can't remember what it's called now, but it's sort of um, being giving flavor to locations. So they're almost having, I think it was like ghostly echoes, it was called, where okay. you, players can go, uh, if they spend any time in the place and they do an action, which is very similar to where, say, if you had a haunted house, uh, they could roll for it. And if they fail it, they have to enact something that the house sort of is. So, oh, so yeah. they get the, the emotions of sadness and they and, and afraid and, and they see a scene play out in front of them. And I, I, I like that as well. Like they see it, maybe not so much forcing that you feel like this, but like, playing it out and then you you get the strong vibes of this but you don't have to take it on as a mm -hmm. player other things just to quickly mention with the sort of tropes uh all hauntings have a deep story and the smallest details uh, tell it which i think is actually when i think about it all the sort of again ghost films i think i think like the others is the big one mm -hmm. there's always little telltale signs uh, or even sixth sense where it's like there's always signs all the way through and then it's a reveal and i guess some people are like oh well now we know if you played it through again then you know what the answer is. But actually, obviously, when you're doing D&D or any RPG, it's sort of like, it's such a special thing in the moment because when that penny drops, and I'm sure you've seen that many times as a player and a DM, you're like, oh, I should have known that this has happened 20 sessions yeah. ago. And I quite like that. Is that everything has a purpose. Everything, like, there's not a ghost here just haunting for the hell of it. They are here tied to this place. So I thought that was good. And then the other thing on top of that was that heroes need agency. So there's a way to put the ghost to rest making sure that if once the story has been revealed and that this is a thing, giving them an option to put them to rest, like maybe clearly laying it out for them rather than just be like, oh, you're, you're now stuck in a haunted house. It's less meaningful. So when they do resolve it, mm -hmm. it feels more of a complete thing that they've made an impact on the game, I guess. In terms of um, ghost stories for you, like how, how, do you, how do you find ghost stories? Do you prefer playing in them or do you prefer running them? Or It's interesting. I like... I think I prefer running them because when I'm playing them, it feels like I'm constantly in an escape room. Yes, yeah. <laughs> trying to work out how to solve the problem. All, all the time. Also going, does this painting mean something? Does this, what does, does this number mean something? And the thing is, when I play those sort of games, I tend to, we tend to use to get the, the, the DM to roll our perception checks for us mm -hmm. behind the screen. So we didn't know how well or well or badly we did mm -hmm. on the roll and they would give us our description. So we don't know if they rolled a free and this piece of cloth we found on the floor means nothing whatsoever. Mm -hmm. We roll a 20 and this piece of cloth is like the thing that's going to solve the issue. Mm -hmm. Like, and that's so much nicer that way because you will never know how well you did mm -hmm. compared to, um, because of course, because there's always that knowing when you roll a perception check and you roll a free and the GM goes, oh, you found uh, this again. Well, no, it's not important because I only rolled a free. Mm -hmm. It's like in a, in yeah. a regular standing setting. But if you do it like in the setting of a horror mm. and you get your uh, dungeon master to roll it for you, um, like, you know, maybe that's only open, but then they'll tell you what they find. You know, a decent GM will do it correctly and you'll find out like oh and like, you'll never know if that clue is useful or not so you keep end up with a bag full of bits of pieces that you have no oh. idea what they're useful for that bag of holding of junk just like yeah. what we've got in here yeah absolutely what, like five pieces of a mirror that may have been broken turns out just a broken mirror, a broken you mirror. Never, you'll never know i find slightly irritating with Dungeons and dragons yeah and these sort of games is the spell which i hope we wish you to check out speak with dead <laughs> 
it sort of ruins a little bit in my head because they've got to talk to you. They then then I think those three questions, I think, or truthfully or something like that. And I'll, I'll quickly look it up. But yeah, just describe. So why why don't you like Speak with Dead? Because <laughs> it, it's any mystery plot you want to run. <laughs> yeah, is basically ruined by any of these sort of divinations. I know divinations a whole big school and necromancy it makes sense, but at the same time, man, that spell just takes out the mystery of like who killed something or why the ghost needs to to be resolved and you end up finding yourself doing the whole in, in my head the power rangers thing you've got to make the problem bigger mm. than the answer needs to be yeah for them to actually solve the issue you've got to escalate it because they've and they've been clever and they use the spell they've got and you know that sort of thing and it makes sense you don't want to play over to feel like they're not clever mm. but at the same time i would probably just take the spell out if i was running a horror setting revolving ghosts it's, it's so interesting you say that because i feel like I have that with other spells, like um, detect magic, or, yes. or, or like the spell magic. I understand, but detect magic. When someone goes, I'm going to rich class it for ten minutes, and then I'm going to go round, and you're like, okay, and you know, you're in a part of it, like say a house, and there's there's nothing in there. Obviously, the only things you find are magical is on you, and then they say it at the beginning of things. Or like I know the big thing right now is like I'm going to cast bless on people, and you're just like, oh, just are you? It's because obviously I think again, it's like sort of like oh, it's a mechanic. That will yeah. help me, and I get that. I get that. Obviously, you want you you know you want to succeed, and you want your players to succeed. But there is something about I completely agree with um, Speak with Dead. It can't tell you the truth. Grant the semblance of life and intelligence to a corpse of your choice within range, allowing it to answer questions you pose. The corpse must still have a mouth. <laughs> Until the spell ends, you can ask up to five questions. Five questions. Yeah, it's quite a lot. Uh, yeah, only knows what it knew in life, including languages it knew. Answers are usually brief, cryptic, or repetitive, and the corpse is under no compulsion to offer a truthful answer if you are hostile to it or it recognises you as an enemy. So I guess that's the caveat, is that if you're, you know, unless you look hostile or you're, you're you know, you, you rec- it remembers you, then, yeah, absolutely. Mm, I guess I've definitely seen it being used later on in, in streams like Critical Role, but again, it's like keeping it short and sweet yeah. and then and then not... And giving cryptic answers, I think, is probably because I guess as a DM, because you have so much information, you're like um, info point, and someone asks you a question, you're like, oh, well, I've got all this information, and you're just trying to truncate it down into yeah. just what they need and keeping it cryptic. But it is really hard. So looking at, uh, so just having a quick look at the other things. So villains here, they're often spirits in ghost mm-hmm. stories, but they also might be people who are provoking the haunting to begin with. So mediums are a good one. Uh, I saw the one which was like the haunted house of a cruel patriarchy. So again, having that sort of a family member or, or your, your father or mother that controls the space and that, that sort of, again, it's, it's a lot in certainly recent ghost stories about having that power, that sort of fear factor being embedded in the walls of a house. So I was like, ugh, uh, that makes me feel creepy, that, the fact that you, you'd have that. But I know lots of stories have that. Uh, ghost hunters that inflict that hauntings on unwitting clients, which I thought was good. Michael J. Fox and the, Fri- the Frighteners. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Overall, like again, I don't want to go too much into detail because there's, there's all these things are good tropes or good ideas to sort of get off into your own uh, RPGs. And I agree, like mixing, say, ghost stories and folk horror into into one adventure, it's the sort of thing that keeps you on your toes. And I think it, you're right. It's like you're not sure if this is a supernatural thing or is it is it humans or is it a humanoid thing that we're just we're just doing it because we want to do it. And there's that, when there's a, like, certainly the reveal of like the Wicker Man, for example, is there something more at play here or is it the people? And then you're like, oh, it is the people. There's some sort of really like, oh, how could you do this sort of thing? Which I, yeah, I really, really like. Let's have a quick look at then dark fantasy, because I know you said you quite enjoy that. So obviously it's interesting. When I think of dark fantasy, I really struggle to think what dark fantasy is. I've definitely played in it. What does dark fantasy mean for you, John? 
Oh. <laughs> so it's interesting. I think dark, when I look at, think of dark fantasy, I sort of think of like almost those sort of epic tales of good and evil. Mm-hmm. It's that sort of like, you know, there is a definite evil person and there is definitely good. And the odds are your player characters will be good or neutral, or less yeah. likely to be evil aligned to this sort of campaign. And, uh, and, and, you yeah, know, and you're trying to like, it's almost like, um, it's like a, a bit like Lord of the Rings, but imagine if it was all based on the, the ring wraiths. And not oh, famous. cool! Oh, I like that. Song. They are imagine they are the ultimate because they like they're pretty scary. Like frightening. Like, so they're frightening. They are designed to be like unkillable, ineffable creatures of horror. Mm. And if they turn up, no one wants to go against them. Like it's like it's that thing, isn't it? Like it's that oh. dark sort of thing. You, you'll suffer a horrible death. But imagine like if Harry Potter was the were wizards, it was just death eaters. Uh, not death eaters. Um, what do you call them? Um, Dementors. Oh, Dementors. It was it, very it, close. Begins with D. Yeah. Imagine it was just it were wizards it is, but like people that were like they were just they were dementors everywhere. Mm. That sort of level, like these horrible creatures exist, and they're definitely evil. And most average people cannot take them up. You need like a, a shining example of a hero to go up against them. So you'd want paragons of players mm. um, in this situation. And there's a classic sort of I think to my head like you need a classic party of like you know the classic party to go up against them, the warrior the the rogue, the healer, and the and the, and the wizard, mm. as it were, because they all have something to add, and then you feel like like a cohesive party in that way. Definitely, um, I think yeah. So there's that idea that good doesn't always triumph every single battle. Like it mm-hmm. does, it does talk about the lines of good and evil being blurred, and the choices often could be like, what is the least bad? Which I think is yeah. such a maybe it's just me, but I, I, when you think of when I think of D and D, it's always like, well, the heroes will always save the day and stuff like that, and then drilling down into this sort of thing where it is like the outcome which is least bad having your players to deal with that sort of not non-existent uh responsibility because i think you you do get impacted by it do you choose mm-hmm. to save this village or do you go fight the bigger evil that's down the street and just leave the village to defend for itself and you've seen those role play moments between players who like you said if you've got like say the knight or the paladin who adds to a higher thing and they say well they say the biggest threat is down the road so we need to do that but then people are like well we've talked to people here like we've made friends with the local priest and we've made those connections and we can't leave these people defenseless so yeah i really like that idea with the choice the other thing which i didn't realize with dark fantasy is that often that magic and magic items are very rare and mm. require a sacrifice to be used and again i guess because for me whenever D for me has always been like and there's magic and magic is can be as common as you want or as rare as you want. And for me, certainly with the games I've played, it is common. But the idea that actually it's not that common, it's not, it's something that if you use it, it takes a part of you. There is, I can't remember what the best left buried is the role-playing game where you play dungeon delvers, like a mining company, but you're not heroes, you're just you're just workers and stuff like that. And then what's beneath is obviously horrific and you only see little bits of them. But if you do have any bits of magic, if you want to heal someone up, you roll a dice for that and it could take part of you. So if you're trying to regrow someone's arm that's been uh, torn off for some reason, it could take your arm instead, like a like-for-like thing, like um, is it Full Metal Alchemist mm-hmm. uh, does that sort of thing, that sort of transference, which I, again, I really like that as an idea. I don't know if I'd like it in a game if I was playing it. <laughs> so things I think works really well in a one-shot or a very short campaign. Right. That's why it's, it's one of the reasons why you never play a long-term game of Cthulhu. Call of Cthulhu just I doesn't... I think it's hard to play a, a long-term it campaign. It really is. Because they've got rules, obviously, for, like, when you regain some sanity and, and health and stuff, and it takes weeks. 
I guess maybe it's then it's like the story is like it's passing. These things are getting stronger, and I guess there's that insignificance again. Thinking of cosmic horror as well, that you are whatever you do does not impact on these otherworldly alien beings whose agenda you cannot even fathom. But yeah, I guess I don't know. I feel like when you play those games, maybe you do want to have an impact. <laughs> you want mm-hmm. to have a, a change in some way. So yeah, it's yeah. I, I guess yeah for those sort of harsher mechanics a one shot just to try it i guess but i don't yeah a long-term campaign i guess because when i play games and maybe yourself john i come to relax per yeah. se and it, not that i want to, i don't want it on easy mode but i want it on normal difficulty on the hard or like book of shadows difficulty i'm like oh god that's no fun because <laughs> i have to i then have to put like almost like a gaming cap on as if you're playing a video game right how much ammo do i have left how much mm-hmm. you know, health do i have can i get to the end which is very stressful <laughs> yes i can, I can imagine I tend to play horror games mostly when, when real life happened in uh, Halloween, that sort of time of year. Mm. I used to do one shots, I used to do a series of them. There was a game, I can't remember what the name, name of the game was called. It was basically teenagers at a camp site, little mm. slasher sort of horror sort of thing. Mm. And that was a lot of fun because you played all the tropes, but you know that you're not going to play a game for more than one night. So you, yeah. you, you can like, oh, I'll open that door, fine. Whereas if it's a long-term campaign, mm. you're going, I'll probably look for traps. But in a one shot, you just open the door mm. and like, and, to get jump scares and that sort of thing and mm. i think the same thing with any of these the settings you can dial up or down you can dial up to like difficulty of 10 you can go i'm changing the rules for death so if you get to zero you basically you're dead mm. uh, as if you've got the band of law to or you can go about like oh, magic items are so very rare there if you if you get a one that costs magic missiles it's going to be worth 10 times more than you would expect and or you could just go the other way it depends how easy or hard you want to make the players and it's, it's that level of like always think i guess how much fun they're having but how much challenge they want. Yeah, having those check-ins with your players mm-hmm. and and just, and yeah, that idea of like, how much fun are they having and, and challenge? Because I, I love a good horror. I'm I'm terrible at horror films when I watch it because I, I jump, but I laugh. So I'm like, oh, that's so scary. Uh, but some people are like, you know what? No, I don't want that. I They, they prefer the mystery aspect of it. And, then, and as soon as someone says, oh, it's ghosts, and they go, oh, it's ghosts. Fuck. Like, I don't want ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Because some games like, advertise up front what they are like mm-hmm. in, in that sense dungeon dragons if you think about it not for any setting it's like yeah it's a game of like fancy adventure you're at a party and you go out and solve issues mm. basically when you overlay something else on top of that and like the other ones i've never played eberron for example but i know everyone's got a very different sort of background a whole yes. big houses and hierarchy going on there mm-hmm. and ravenloft or now you know this sort of thing the dark domains you, you've got this idea of like everything is just slightly different and it's not interesting to learn something new i think mm. uh to go even if it's just for one adventure perhaps like you're somehow plane hopped from one mm. place to another so you can have your regular party and go this nothing's working here like it normally does i don't know why things aren't and it's very confusing because it's the world around you is never was it's controlled by the dark lord the, and you'll never meet them potentially you know, like this mm. sort of thing like they are just some, some big bad and at some point you get spat at the other end you're going well we're never going there again like it's that sort of level because there are plenty of games i imagine where you can plane hop Mm. And just give those players or those DMs who bought all the books a chance to use all the source materials for all their books, whereas Forgotten Realms or whether it's Eberron or whether it's Ravenloft. I f- I would find a fl- running a long term horror, mm. and I say long term, I'm talking years. Yeah, like you know, difficult simply because I think the horror aspect would deaden itself in a sense. It, like you'd you'd become less and less what's the word affected. Yeah, by the horror you, you aspect. You sort of become desensitized to it, don't you? Yeah. Even if your play, even if your characters die, your players, your players become desensitized to it. They go, oh, okay, it's just another crawling horror along the floor. 
like you know we we fought five Stab. of these Stab. <laughs> as that's offering it was the first time you meet one you know it's like the film the thing it's yeah. terrific oh. you have no idea what to do and it's just like but eventually after like maybe two months you've worked out yeah we have to keep always keep fire blasts on us and then we'll be fine so i think it works better in small bursts either to intersperse a regular game mm. or to have a short one shot that lasts either one session or maybe five sessions maybe or 10 sessions mm. you know you've got an ending to it in that sense you don't want players to become like oh this is one of the mill you want yeah. to feel like this is special you know what? That is a very good point. I mean, looking at these the genres in general, so obviously so we've got folk horror, ghost stories, gothic horror, uh, cosmic horror, dark fantasy, body horror. I think for those sort of stories that you would, like if you had a long-running campaign and then filter it out, realistically, I think folk horror and ghost stories are obviously the better for it. Things like maybe body horror to an extent, but I feel like certainly cosmic horror, you'd already plan that in your campaign. You're not already running mm. the campaign. You'd already like, oh, well, obviously there is something out there and they could go to this alien thing. So I think as soon as like, it's that sort of thing, it's like, it was all a dream or something like that. But if it's like, oh, it was aliens, you go, well, where's the justification for that? So I, I, again, it's like planting the seeds there. So I think cosmic horror, you'd have to think, implement that. If you wanted it in a, in a, in a campaign you're running, that has to be in at the beginning. <laughs> Gothic horror is an interesting one, just to quickly look at that. That is, it talks about as a terror within, but not without. And it shatters this illusion of humanity as if we're holding a mirror up to ourselves and looking at what we truly are. So for me, when I think of Gothic horror, I think of uh, like period dramas, you know, mm. um, oh, what's it called? I can't remember. The, I just think of the crazy lady in the loft. That's, uh, I can't remember which book that's from um, off the top of my head. Oh, Jane, um, Jane yeah, Hare, I know. I think this is Havisham, but yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, is it Great Expectations? that one yeah great expectations with mrs habisham yeah the idea of the wedding dress and stuff like yeah. that and that sort of yeah that's really good and i can't, I can't remember there's pip and the girl in it and then that they get together but then she breaks his heart because that's what mrs habisham wants and stuff like that that sort of again it talks about intense even exaggerated emotions and these romance and rivalries and life-changing events there is like a sense of dread but it's it's not like oh there's a monster or anything like that it's, it's just like people playing up against each other and doing mm. horrid things and whilst there are evil villains they are not they're not like obviously but they don't come in twirling a mustache laughing maniacally to every ball mm -hmm. but they they definitely you have a sense of it they're a signpost and you go oh i don't like that guy or i don't like that lady there's something not right quite right and it's revealed like i knew it i knew they were they were up to something etc so it's it's a very different way of doing a horror i think it's like again that sort of it is it is people and people being horrible to each other, or like it's like the Miss Habersham one is a really good example that fact she's just waiting there with her wedding dress and the wedding cake, and then and then just waiting for this boy to come and talk to her. It's oh. One thing you got, I think the players have to really want to play as well. They want to like they want to have these personal sort of horror stories, like mm -hmm. win them these personal tragedies that they want to overcome, or they want to do something with, or preach the world in some way that don't live the way I've lived. Mm -hmm. um, you know, lost loves and all those sort of things. And I highly recommend. Certainly with the body horror and the cosmic one as well, it talks about like, hey, you know, sometimes we, it is historical sort of things about like disability with mm -hmm. the body horror, uh, like demonizing it, don't do that, which I think is great to actually sell yeah. a book and say that. And the same for cosmic horrors, it says like often marginalized ethnicities are seen as the other or evil in some way, like worshipping and bringing about the doom and stuff like that. Don't do that because that's not cool. And I, again, that's just making sure like, hey, these things, they are bad tropes these are bad stereotypes so i think that's 
really good to see that and certainly with psychological horror as well i did like don't stigmatize mental illness you know if people are telling you stuff how do you make it is it like a fine line when you're creating these stories and i like that the delivery have said that in the book rather than like oh it's up to you as a dm i think is it r- rule zero whereas like what you say goes but actually telling the dms or people reading this book like these aren't cool it's a big step for them <laughs> So in terms of the, like the really small genres that they've got like at the end of things to think about, disaster horror, whereby we've seen those films, we've seen Day After Tomorrow, mm-hmm. uh, World War Z, that sort of thing, where things have happened to the landscape around us and it's failing, our society is breaking down and stuff. And I was just like, I hadn't considered that as a D&D thing that, um, like, I know it's, a, oh God, it's a Neverwinter that has this huge void, like a huge like mm-hmm. crack that's open in it. And you're like, if it ever widens more, and there's another eruption from the, um, the the mountain nearby. And it's like, actually, that's a really good point. You think, well, maybe magic will help, but maybe magic doesn't help in this. I'd never considered a natural disaster in a, a D&D. No, no, I never I actually. Hmm. But because I recently watched um, Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, such a and you, and you think to yourself, well, is that disaster? Because you don't know what happened to the world, but the world's, and, then, and, then, and in this world, they've built up these separate cults and mm-hmm. and like, and they're, they're quite horrific, you know, the way they treated humanity is, like, terrible, mm. and, and these sort of things. And in the end, have they made a difference? You never know, that, and that sort of level of sort of thing. And it's like, you're fighting against the world, but the world has already changed. That's the thing, is it, with disaster yeah. writers? That's terrifying, actually, that you feel like that. Well, yes, yeah, so isn't it? Like, you know, there are some spells that you can help, and certain aspects, you could probably find some areas with some greenery, some druids, kept safe or whatever mm-hmm. in this world mm-hmm. but the rest of it is a barren wasteland like you can't survive imagine if you like imagine you transplanted the dd setting into judge dredge mega city one setting like the cities are fine outside of that is a massive zone of like just death death yeah like, wasteland yeah like, you know there are there are creatures out there that you don't know and that you could you can't possibly survive magic is rare in the case of bullets are rare but magic would be you know it would be an impossible task it's like always living like in a zombie apocalypse or live situation mm. No matter how many zombies you kill, there's always more zombies. Mm. But it's interesting, again, like you said, like, so Dread, obviously, is definitely, for me, I was like, oh, sci-fi. But actually, you're right. This sort of dystopian future is a horror in a sense. So I, like you said, that whole thing about mixing in the horror elements to other genres and pairing them together. Like, it is it is a sci-fi, but also there is these elements in it. So it's not, I guess, if, you're, if your group of players, sorry, aren't keen on a full-on horror stuff, Definitely some of these things you can put implement into stuff. Certainly, Mad Max Fury Road is such a great film uh, in general. Oh, I just, I was like, God, that's another one I'm going to have to rewatch now again. And yeah, and like, again, just to quickly say stuff like the occult detective stories, which again, for me, I was like, oh, is that another Call of Cthulhu? But actually, you could have stuff like um, Dresden was the one I was thinking of, because yeah. obviously that is, it is a man who's a wizard, but he's one of those reluctant chosen ones, as it were, and there are things going on. And I've actually, I'd, I'd recommend it, actually, the world of Dresden is definitely good, because certainly a couple of the earlier books aren't great. Um, but yeah, the, the world itself is really, really interesting and, and cool, like the idea of this character this, and film noir as well. So yeah. I'd highly recommend that. And then as you sort of talking about earlier, this sort of idea of a slasher horror, which I wonder if that's now reached its peak in terms of films and tv shows currently where it's like there is a monster out there and it's killing everyone how do you come across it as now i think it's ebbing back towards like having villains that have a motive or have a purpose mm-hmm. that is more beyond killing for the sake of killing so and i'm quite glad that horror uh, slasher horror is in there because i definitely do think there is a place for it but i'm i'm glad it's not one of they've not considered it one of the main kind of horrors no i mean yeah because Again, you've got a villain and you defeat that villain and it's less likely to have a 
a bigger plan in, mm. in, in a sense. But I also think one of the key strokes for me in, in slasher horror mm. is that everyone is incompetent. Like yes. that's the thing. It doesn't work if everyone's really clever and really knows what they're doing. It only really works if everyone is slightly dumb. Yeah. Um, and what works for me is the uh, is the idea that there is a controlling force behind it. And a cabin in the woods. I literally was just thinking cabin in the woods because that that was such a clever way of putting it. And it was so different as well. And again, that plays on so many horror tropes as well. That's so oh, good. Yeah. Just like the idea of like, like, oh, like these kids aren't stupid, but they're being made to be like through drugs and through the environment. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that sort of thing. I like, so I like that, that thing. On it. it wouldn't work more than once as a thing, but it's just fun to oh. watch it. Even though I, can, I still watch it from again over and over again because I still watch different things out of it when I watch it's, it. It's fun. It's so, it's like, again, that film in general, because again, that having that scoreboard, like, oh, well, it's going to be the unicorn. It's going to be this that definitely gets them. It's like, yeah. and, and it's so every day. And again, that feels a bit almost like, um, not even gothic horror in a way, but that idea that they're doing it, but they've normalised it for themselves. It's yeah. part of their daily daily routine where they create this thing once a year. Oh, and folk horror as well, because obviously they're doing it to prevent a great evil happening yeah. in the world. So this is their belief system. God, that's, that film is definitely more levels than I, <laughs> I gave it credit for. Quite a lot of there. Some of these sort of games, I think the other thing keeping with horror games, is, especially slasher ones, would be like, players will die, and that's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And that's I mean, there's got to be consequences. Yeah. Uh, consequences <laughs> that's the thing isn't it you know because it's now like no resurrection spells like that sort of thing or mm. like the saving throw sort of stuff plays die and then and yeah they might just go home and then everyone else carries on playing it's mm. that's a difficult thing like those sort of games i reckon because yeah. i find the balance between you want there to be consequences when people have fun and yeah. so you've got to make sure your players are on board with the idea there are going to be consequences your character might die and you mm. may not do anything for an hour so feel free to make a new character in that time in that sort of it's interesting sort of like yeah. having that conversation yeah, because well, it's like um, I think you've played it, or you've yeah, I know you've probably heard of it, Dread. So that that's a Jenga game where essentially oh, yeah. you, you write that 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 sort of uh, scenario. You you write the questionnaire and then you create your character, yeah. and then it obviously uh, you know depending on how scared you are, you take blocks out of the tower and put it on top. And if it falls, your character is removed from the game. Same similar games with like earlier werewolves and stuff like that, where you could be the first out and then have another two and a half hours of the game. So I do quite like the idea that. Or you just said like, okay, you, you won't be in it for another 30 minutes, create your next character and then we'll have a break and then we'll introduce you in. Whereas you could be just sat there for ages going, nothing else for me to do. And you kind of lose that interest, I guess. You do, that's the thing. That's, you got to make sure your players are on board with that. Mm-hmm. And I have played Dread and I can't remember how well I did. <laughs> John, we've had a, a sort of whistle-stop tour through all these different genres, talked about dark gifts and stuff. Um, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. I guess if there's one thing you've taken from uh, this book that you want to take forward into your own game, what would it be? If I would definitely take the idea of the dark gifts. I would, I would like those so much. Like anything, because players will always grab at the shiny thing and not realise the consequences of it until like maybe five games later. Mm-hmm. And like, it's that sort of like, oh, there's a there's a thing. In fact, at the moment, I'm playing a game, my friend Scott's running it, and we've all signed a, <laughs> signed a deal with Asmodeus. Oh, <laughs> that, no. Even I, mean, I know that's a bad deal. I mean, in, in my defense, I was charmed and befriended, and I had, <laughs> I thought, well, I've got a little choice. I'm just going to sign this contract, and let's go oh, for it. Dear. And everyone's went, well, John's doing it. That seems like a good idea. Going, no, I'm, I've no. Been charmed. <laughs> I can't, there's no immediate danger. I kind of have to. Yeah. Oh, dear. Uh, so that's what we're doing at the moment. So I know there's going to be consequences. I've been given this powerful artifact, which I know is actually going to do something bad to me. Out of character, in character. I have no idea. In character, I'm using every session I can. Of course. Out of character. 
I know this will turn me into some sort of horrific greedy glutton um, eventually. Uh, so I like the idea that I know something is coming, but I don't know when it's going to happen. Mm, having that, yeah, having that dark gift that keeps on giving until yeah. you go, oh, I don't want it anymore, and then having to deal with that consequence. Yeah, that, I highly recommend that any, anyone have a look at those dark gift stuff. I think, yeah, for me, like looking at the genres of horror, I just love. I'm very not again not stupid when it comes to these things, but I'm like, oh, these are so many cool ideas, and it's nice to have tables to give you inspiration from. And I'm like, I definitely love the idea of the um, disaster horror. Because I mm. think it's an unusual kind of horror that I hadn't really considered. I didn't even think of it as a horror, really. I just thought, oh, it's a, it is a disaster film. But then disasters are horrors. So I just changed my way of just thinking about it, per se. And I, lo- I love a good occult detective. Like, I, I, it's nice to be investigating and then realise you've gone in too deep. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, no, we should have shut that door. Well, John, thank you so much. Is there anything you would like to plug what are you up to i know you're like the man of improv you you are like what i consider the velma of our um cartoon network universe <laughs> like everyone knows who, who you are through various things so oh well um all sorts of things uh i am a member of retro type comedy which is a sci-fi comedy troupe which does little game shows mm-hmm. uh, uh on fridays normally on our twitch channel i'm a member of comedians which is the all asian british troupe of improvisers I'm a moderator of The Improv Place, so where Fiona and I do a lot of our talking together, frankly, um, and taking part of their, uh, I'll be a, an attendee at their intensive happening in August. Uh, and um, I currently do a lot of my teaching, uh, if you want to learn from me as improv, through the Nursery Theatre, uh, mm-hmm. which is based uh, in London, but teaches to anyone who's got a Zoom account and wants to, wants to play. Uh, amazing. Thank you, John. Um, well, as always, I'm Fiona. I run the What Am I Rolling podcast, which is a twice monthly RPG one shot podcast. As always, uh, and John, this will be the first time you've heard about it. It's going very well. Uh, it's forever, uh, forever doing stuff. I've discovered recently that I've recently gone over 100 episodes, which is great. Very good. Except then iTunes was very kindly archiving older episodes, which I was like, oh, don't do that. And then I've had to, I had a last. Was it last night? I had two hours of trying to work out what was wrong. I worked out what was wrong, but as a result, it has now hidden my extended episode notes. So I, if you want to have the timestamps, all links to the games, you'll have to go expand uh, quite a bit of that. But hey, I'm glad I know that now, and I will not be I will not be using Squarespace again. Fuck them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all podcasts are sponsored by Squarespace. Anyway, um, apart from that, we um, we also have an offer code for DMs Book Club, uh, Third Space Gaming, which is a uh, your friendly local game store in Burnley offer you a 10% off if you use the code DNBC at checkout on any order you want. So if you like your minis, if you like your uh, terrain, you get there's a lot of terrain on there currently, uh, or any RPG books, uh, do go ahead and use that offer code and get you know piddly three pounds off. But hey, it, it's it's good money and we get we get some credit for it. So do that. Thanks so much for joining us, and we will speak. Here, I, I, John, I never know how to end these because it's a podcast, and obviously I see you. <laughs> I don't see anyone else. But we will, we will be back uh, next week with another exciting episode. Thank you so much. <laughs>